Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jennifer White, and I am here with my incredible sister, incredible human being, Ellen Trackman. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, So to our dear listeners, we just want to say thank you so much for those who listen and to those who reach out and want to hear stories or want to have a voice heard. We appreciate that. Um, So this episode actually comes from someone reaching out to us and saying they had a different perspective and wanted to be heard. We've had several embryo donation organizations come on the show, so we, we definitely recommend that you go back and listen to our interview with Empower, um, What a Great Group, as well as Embryo Connections and Deb Roberts. Uh, so good to hear all the work they're doing in embryo donation. So this interview with, is with a different embryo donation slash adoption and we'll talk about we'll talk about wording in the episode that takes a different perspective and operates in a different way than the other two so um here's mark welcome mark mellinger to the show from the national embryo donation center mark thanks for joining us thank you so much ladies it is a pleasure to be here mark for those not familiar with do you guys refer to them by the initials normally nedc for those we normally fami- do, yep. <laughs> oh, um, for those not familiar, can you give an overview of what the NADC is and what they do? Yeah, sure. So so what we do is we're, we're the largest embryo adoption program in the world, to our knowledge, and, and we have a unique model. As, as you ladies well know, uh, embryo adoption is done in a number of ways, in a number of places, by a number of different organizations. What, what's unique about our model is that people who have frozen embryos remaining are able to donate them to the NEDC and we will take any embryo or any embryo with a viable cell uh, regardless of its quality. We will take any number of embryos. We'll take singletons to however many you may have. So what we'll do is we'll facilitate the shipping of that to uh, the lab of our medical partners, which is right here on site. So uh, what what you end up getting then... And um, and where is that on site? Since we're across the country everywhere, where where are you guys? No, we're we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, no, good good question. Sorry, so, keep going, keep going. Yeah, no, no, you're fine. Uh, so there are, you know, probably right across the hall from me right now, there are uh, probably about 6,000 frozen embryos. That probably comes out to, um, at any given time, we probably have five to 600 sets of embryos that are, um, that are available. So uh, what, what we do, you know, and I, I think we're the only ones who do it like that, is you, we just accept these embryos from all over the country. Uh, some are even from other parts of North America. We keep them in the lab, and then we adopt them out to couples who want to build their families using those donated embryos. They, can I, can I totally ahead. stop you and challenge you on, on a choice of word that you, you're using here and, and hear your justification for it? I'm sure you know where I'm going to go with this. No, that's, oh, yeah, <laughs> um, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the term embryo adoption is pretty outdated. And I mean, Ellen can definitely chime in on this, but is not typically legally used for embryos. 
why do you guys make that choice to use that word? Oh yeah, no, ab- absolutely, Jen, and it's a, it, it's a good point. I'm, gl- I'm I'm glad you challenged me on it. That is, you're absolutely right, and we do, yeah. And I know I'm talking, I'm talking with legal folks here, so you are, you, you know, you're exactly right, and uh, I certainly concede that point. We talk about it in more of an informal way, uh, using the term the same way you would talk about adopting a pet or adopting a highway. We, we absolutely recognize that it's not adoption in any legal sense. Um, we, we know that. Uh, we're obviously well aware that uh, frozen That's, embryo donation. I've never heard the the analogy to donating it to adopting a pet or highway. That's funny. Yeah, um, it's yeah, and it's well, it's and it's not even meant to be funny. It's just meant to sort of explain why, especially the way that we do it. Um, s- there are some aspects of the process that would mimic the adoption process. We think it helps people understand it, but but absolutely, I completely agree. It, it is certainly not adoption, and I don't want people to think it's it's adoption in any legal sense. It's certainly not. You're exactly right. I mean, while we're on the topic, just to clarify kind of the legal issue that comes up with it, is that adoption is so well ingrained in most state statutes of exactly what that looks like and what's required. And that's generally fingerprinting, background checks, mm-hmm. home studies, a court hearing. And those kind of requirements are not part of embryo donations generally. Um, but I have seen some some embryo agencies that do try to mimic some of that, like requiring a home study of their recipients. Is that Do you guys do that where you do try to mimic some of those legal requirements through your agency? Yes, your we, yes. Yes, we we absolutely do, and so that would be another thing that makes our agency different than other agencies or some clinic programs is we we do require that the people who are adopting embryos complete a home study. So yeah, just just as if you were doing standard domestic infant adoption. So yeah, they're going to have to get the criminal background check. Um, the, the whole nine yards, go into their stories, be uh, prepared to open up their, their lives, their finances. And, you know, we, we certainly, I'll just put this disclaimer out there. We certainly understand if people are not comfortable with that. And if, if they're not, I guess the, the good thing about where we are now is that you can do embryo donation through any number of agencies or clinics, and you're probably going to be able to find one that best fits your comfort level or desires. We would not suggest that the NEDC is necessarily for everybody because, yeah, not everybody is going to agree with our rules or, or the way that we particularly go about it. And, and, and that's fine. To, but for those who I would do, love to it talk can be about the, I, I, say, I would love that. to, I would say you, you kind of opened a door for me. Yeah. <laughs> and before we go into the other rules, I'm curious. So when you do a background check, when you do fingerprinting, you know, for a state, they set the criteria and a judge is generally deciding whether you're fit to be a parent or not. So in this case, are there certain criteria that you have set that 
the NEDC decides whether you are fit to be a recipient through your program or not. Well, back to the home study, Alan, I'll take just a quick step back. What we require is that you are, is that you, you have the home study completed by an accredited agency in the state in which you live. So, so, so it will still meet the state standards. Now, back to the question that you asked, and oh, oh yeah, I mean, you know, happy to go here and, and be honest about, you know, where, where the NEDC is. We're, we're very transparent about it. Um, you know, our, in terms of our program, there are certain rules that our board has set, and among those are that uh, the woman must be younger than 46 when, when she has the frozen embryo transfer. It must be uh, the, the woman, the mother, who carries the child. And they do have to be married couples, genetic male and I, genetic female. I was about to say is that you guys very much discriminate against LGBTQ couples, is, is my understanding. Well, here's, here's how I would explain it. I mean, that's, you know, right. You cannot uh, be an LGBTQ couple and do... Em- you can donate embryos. You just can't be the recipient of embryos through our organization. And again, the, you know, I would just go back to it's it's a big world, and um, you know, there are a lot of different programs where anybody, basically, who wants to can do embryo adoption. Uh, if I can use that term, I'll use embryo donation if uh, if it makes you uncomfortable. I'm I'm good with either. But so. Uh, let me explain where we're coming from, and then I'm happy to answer any follow-up questions. You know, so our our piece of of this world is that, um, you know, we we are a, a nonprofit Christian organization, and you know, we so our leadership believes that there are just certain lines that God has said you don't cross, and in terms of marriage. That's one of the lines. It's not necessarily our personal choice. If we if we had it that way, it certainly isn't. There's no animus or uh, or dislike for anyone involved. I want people to understand that. Um, I, mean, so- I definitely will. I mean, I'm going to just put my own public you know disagreement in that that there's plenty of parts of Christianity that believe very much that LGBTQ families are are valid and that their marriages are valid. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree with that. You, you're exactly right. There are many, especially like mainline congregations that, that would believe that. I guess, you know, what, the way I would explain it is it's, it would be the generally historically orthodox view of marriage that the vast, vast majority of the church for 2000 years it has not had any been any just in any real dispute on that would be the version of marriage that that we believe is is what God articulates and we respect those who who believe differently again there's there's no animus and you're right there are certainly um, parts of of the uh, church that are are very affirming of uh, LGBTQ families and. And we're not non-affirming of that. It's just not uh, among the uh, the requirements of our program. I, I know there are many LGBTQ plus parents who are doing uh, doing wonderful work and stepping in and uh, and helping kids, you know, who who need it. Uh, and uh, 
that's wonderful. I mean, you know, we, we commend them on that. It's just not what our program does. I say, I, I would argue the other side of by disallowing somebody, you are being non-affirming. But I mean, that's just a, a, sure. definitely a frustration of that, you know, something that you have good intentions and you are leaving a very, a very big and loving segment of the population out of your program by doing this. Well, I very much respect and and understand that view. And and again, I would just say the reason we do it uh, the way we do it, and again, it's our board that's made the decisions, is that that we believe this is a matter of conscience before God. It's not necessarily, you know, not personal. Um, it is it is a matter of conscience. I certainly understand and respect that view. I can tell you that's that's not the intent. But uh, I understand how you know, th- th- these are tough matters, tough issues, and uh, sometimes you just have folks who, who disagree and probably will never see eye to eye on it. Sure. Is, so, the, oh, yeah. sorry, is the age requirement also from a religious standpoint? Because I know ASRM, like the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, medically has a much higher, or has a higher um, age limit. So can you tell me where that comes from or the basis of it? Yeah, I, I believe that that came from, um, and again, the, you know, that was a rule that uh, is probably close to a couple decades old in our board. I can't speak for our board. I, I don't know why they've chosen not to re-examine it, uh, but they've, they've not in my time here, and I've been here for seven years, I I know when it was instituted, um, it was thought that this is medically right. There has to be a line somewhere. There was uh, there were certainly medical experts who were involved in that decision. So that was just where uh, where they felt most comfortable at the time. But yeah, you're right. I mean, ASRM certainly has different recommendations, and uh, and that's okay. And it, it's not about kind of the age of the parent otherwise, because you guys have a maximum of a total age of the parents together is 100. So it could be like a 30-year-old woman and 70-year-old man, right? It, 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 it theoretically could be. The, you know, the, the reason is that we want to do our, hey, nothing in life's guaranteed, right? But um, we want to do our best to reasonably ensure that uh, that child until he or she is 18 will have um, will have a parent and hopefully both parents in the home can't guarantee that but at least one so that's that's a, a big part of the reason behind some of those age restrictions Interesting. so I have it and I'm definitely not challenging this from the front end but I have a curiosity about something um, I did notice on your website that you you can't use the, any donated embryos through your program uh, with a surrogate. So what happens, let's say, if somebody has a lot of you know embryos and they try once, twice, or something happens and they're unable to uh, try again at that point, do any remaining embryos automatically revert back to your custody? How does that work if, they, if there's a, a, a change in circumstances that would change that for them? Yeah, it's a good question, Jen. And what you described is is exactly what would happen if uh, if they had reserved a set and were not successful. Usually, we will give them 
three times uh, when they're recipients to try to have success. And, uh, and if they don't, um, then those embryos would go back into our custody. Yeah, we'd continue to be the caretakers for them and they would go back into circulation uh, as, as it, if you will, um, to, uh, to be tried with by another recipient. What's the relationship like between donors and recipients of their program? Is everyone open and known to each other, or is that not the case for some? In our program, it's about half and half. Um, and and that really is whether you donate or whether you're on the receiving end, you can choose which route you go through the NEDC program. So, um, so literally, uh, how it has worked out is about half of our donors have chosen to be anonymous or closed, and about half have chosen to be open. And we understand both. Uh, you know, I understand for those who want to donate anonymously, this is just closure. Um, you know, this is, it's a deep uh, emotional decision. It's been a dilemma for most people who... Uh, who have been in those shoes. And uh, for a lot of them, they just, they just want closure. They want to know that they did what, what they felt was the right decision. You know, they, they weren't comfortable with the other options with donating to, to science or discarding or just, uh, you know, keeping them, the embryos in frozen storage indefinitely. And they thought, well, giving someone else a chance to build their family is, is right. Okay. Does, I just want to know. Does your, yeah. No, does your pro- program talk to them about the, I mean, the obvious fact that, you know, there is no such thing as anonymity given mm-hmm. 23andMe and things like that. Do you give the, the donor, both the donor and recipient in cases where they choose to be unknown, you know, counseling about that or discussions about that? Absolutely. That's a, it's a great question, Jen. We certainly do. And um, I applaud you for bringing that up. Because there certainly, there certainly is no such thing as truly closed adoption uh, anymore. And again, you know, okay, truly closed embryo donation. I'm going to try to be cognizant of, of the terms that I use. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just to, oh yeah, sure. Just well, out of respect. But it's true for adoption. Too. I mean, I still think adoption it's, it is, is like true for as someone who gave birth to a child and then puts their child up for adoption. But I mean, it's true that there isn't really anonymous adoption or closed adoption anymore because of. DNA testing, et cetera. Yeah, that's exactly right. The 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all that has has made that basically impossible. In fact, I was just, but before I um I hopped on this today, I was working on a video that we're doing where we we spell that out pretty clearly. We spell it out pretty clearly anyway, in our personal interactions, in our materials. So we want people to know, but you know, the video I was working on is, is a, you know, the, the speaker is talking directly to camera, directly to donors, letting them know, even if you're closed, it's possible that someday when this child turns 18, um, he or she, there's a strong likelihood they're Very going likely. to be able to find you. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's just, that's the bottom line. So yeah, there's no, you're right. There's, and people should know that people who are going in, to embryo donation and, and thinking about it, that you got to make a, a fully informed decision. And, uh, and that's a huge, huge part of it. It's, you know, you got to think, wow, that could happen, you know, two decades from now. So, and, and we I'll do, note, we, 
Go ahead. I don't know. So I live in Colorado where we're especially cognizant of these issues now since our state just passed the Donor Conceived Person Protection Act Mm -hmm. that eliminates the ability to have anonymous donations after 2025 by focusing on the right of a donor conceived person to have the ability to access their biological, historical, medical information. So Mm -hmm. being able to get medical information about their donor and um, be able to know their identity as well when they turn 18. um, I guess my question is how are you guys addressing those kind of needs that we're seeing are really brought to the forefront these days? I mean, very much in my world, I'm seeing it and people are becoming more cognizant of those needs of the the children, the people who are conceived from these donations. And I think that's the right direction. I mean, we wouldn't, obviously it's outside our purview. We wouldn't have any take on, on a law like that. I'm just not informed enough on it. And, uh, and it, again, it's outside the scope sort of, of what we do. But what I can tell you is that uh, our organization affirms that direction. You don't want this to just be um, all about the parents and the adults making the decisions. Um, you've, you've got to think about the children who are going to result from, from these embryos. And, um, and to the degree that that's happening, I think that that's, re- that's a really good. And I can tell you that our, our social workers with whom we contract, although you know we don't technically steer people toward one direction or the other who are receiving the embryos. We don't steer them toward a open or closed, but I can tell you our social workers definitely feel open is healthier and do not have a problem saying that <laughs> when, when they're speaking uh, with our recipients as they make decisions about which direction they want to go. And you know, those can be beautiful relationships too. There are different levels of openness within, within, open relationships uh, that are facilitated by the NEDC. Some will just uh, share email addresses and uh, you know, share pictures once or twice a year. Some are connected by social media. Others have more like cousin or aunt and uncle relationships and uh, will go on vacation together, get together every now and then. So it just runs the gamut. And of course, that's, that's worked out through, through open donation agreements. Are so presumably there are batches of embryos donated, and that some recipient might use some, others might receive the remaining ones. Are those families connected to who have genetically connected um, children? Not as a matter of course. What I mean is that's not an, an official requirement of the program. But what happens practically is that, yes, in in a good number of cases, they are. I can think of families I was working with, gosh, just really a a few weeks ago, and uh, I believe it was six families are connected by one set of embryos. I guess it would be seven if you included the donors. The donors? Yeah. So it's a lot. And I can tell you, Four of those families are are in touch with one another, and uh, and they wanted to reach out to the other two to see if there was interest in everybody sort of knowing each other. 
Now, and I was happy to help them. I was happy to put their request before the other families. What the other two families who aren't part of the whole thing choose to do will will be up to them. So we don't necessarily organize it. What we what we do is we are open to helping if that is the desire of the other families involved. It seems like a healthy thing, right? Yeah. And in situations like that with larger family groups, do you take considerations like consanguinity into account? Like, you know, like, hey, they live close to each other. These kids could potentially, you know, be the same age-ish and date in school and things like that. Are those things that are taken into account when people are receiving donated embryos? They are taken into account, especially if, if the donor has put those parameters on the embryos, like we don't want these embryos going to a particularly geographic uh, section of, of the country. Um, and also, the see, we, we don't direct the flow of the embryos um, on our own. It's really, it's really the recipients who are driving the process. We give them access to our database, and they're able to scroll online and, uh, and reserve the embryos themselves. So those are considerations that really they need to keep in mind. And, and in, at least in, anecdotally, in, uh, in just about all the cases that I have been familiar with, uh, they are. Like, for instance, the one I was just telling you about, those embryos are fairly well spread out. I mean, there, there's one family on the East Coast. There is one in the Southwest one in the Southeast, two in the Midwest, but different states, I believe a couple states away. So that is certainly something that they're cognizant of. Sorry, I can see though, if it's not mandatory on your end that it's reported where the em- other embryos have gone, that that could lead for a potential to problem, you know, as in like, because people don't have that ability to access that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's important that, that people are, are informed about that. And, um, and we're happy to, we're happy to help anybody who's working through questions like that. Um, that's, that's part of what we do. I want to talk a little bit more about the, who you accept or what embryos you accept. So it sounds like you don't, um, disqualify embryos if they've tested, if they've been tested and show having abnormal conditions or um, certain things that might otherwise disqualify them from other programs. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we, we'll accept any embryo with with a viable cell. If we have embryos that were tested PG, via PGT and, and considered atypical then those embryos would uh, would go into what we call a special consideration category, where they are they are stored separately. Those are actually uh, FDA. Um, that's an FDA requirement. So so those embryos will be stored separately. And you know those can. Uh, and and again, that's that's not completely my area because I'm I'm not medical in nature, but. Gosh, you know the special consideration embryos, and they don't have to have been um, tested uh, PGT. You know, m- most embryos that that were uh, tested PGT um, and and would have not not come back well probably aren't even e- even going to get donated. They're they're going to probably be discarded by the clinic that that produced them. But um, 
But the special consideration embryos that we have, and it is several dozen, it can range from anything. Like there may be markers for Down syndrome, autism, things like that, even to, uh, to, to things that are typically less serious, like hepatitis B or, uh, or hepatitis C. Like uh, with the hepatitis uh, situation, you know, there, to our knowledge, there's never been a case of that being passed from a from uh, somebody who was one of the donors, uh, one of the gamete donors uh, that helped produce the embryos. There's never been a case of that being passed down, but the FDA still makes you store those embryos separately, and they're less likely to be selected for that reason. Sure. And you mentioned <laughs> autism. I would say that so there's not a genetic marker for autism that I'm aware of. Where are y'all getting that autism becomes a special consideration in there? It's uh, that would be that. No, it's a good question, Jen. And that would, that would be family history. Okay. I was yeah. thinking like things like hepatitis too, right? Cause that's not PGT right. testing. That's more like the family history or that's correct. Okay. That's, might've had it. Right. That's correct. Okay. And, I mean, I will, I, this is just a complete and total blatant curiosity. I've talked to doctors who uh, don't feel like it's ethical to transfer either mosaic embryos or certain embryos with certain, you know, absolutely issues that you're kind of talking about and identifying here. Do What happens then? Do the parents that are receiving these embryos have to find a clinic that is also willing to, to make that transfer too? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And r- right now, we are not um, we we will not receive mosaic embryos on site because of storage capacity reasons. Now, that's something that we're always looking at and could change in the future. But right now, that is that is where we will stand on those. Um, there have been have been cases uh, I know where our partner clinic uh, has, and I think it's happened a couple of times through the NEDC where somebody did want to transfer mosaics, and we were able to have them shipped here directly and on a timeline, and um, and we were able to do that. We don't see that very often, and it's something that we're still. We're still working through that and still wrestling with it. Something that our team talks about here is what exactly is is the approach there. As you know, the science is sure. changing, so oh, we ab- have to change. Absolutely, with it. that's yeah. why it's a fascinating conversation. Yeah, yeah. and I will say some like some of the ethical questions when it comes to testing and embryos. I've seen like there was one, there was an article a few years ago about a couple that neither were hearing their deaf and they wanted to choose an embryo that was similarly non-hearing, um, mm-hmm. result in a non-hearing person. Um, but I'm, I'm so interested and curious about the embryos you're receiving when they do have conditions, if they are being chosen and those are successfully being, being transferred and becoming children for people. Yes. And, and those are, those are beautiful cases when you have a child with a, with the sorts of conditions that that you were talking about, um, Ellen, you know, yeah, the, certainly we have couples who have intentionally chosen embryos, say, you know, who who um, could be could end up having Down syndrome um, conditions like that, or yeah, uh, other other physical disabilities, 
and um, and that's that's wonderful because you know we we believe that the, those embryos are precious and deserve a chance outside the womb. And uh, so there are people who come through with just a heart for those sorts of embryos, and uh, and we appreciate them. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your process of how people who have embryos would choose or go through to donate through you, and then on the other side, how recipients go through that process with you? Yeah, it's and it's really not not difficult. It's not a fast process, but it is a it's a proven process. It's a, it's an efficient process. The demand on both sides uh, is is fairly high right now. So if 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 you want to donate embryos through our organization, it's as simple as going to our website embryodonation.org. We have a donation FAQs page that doesn't take very long to read. That unpacks uh, the program in detail beyond what I've spoken about here. And then if uh, you decide that the NEDC is is the organization through which you'd like to donate your embryos, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page and you'll see a panel that says uh, apply for donation. Get started, fill out some basic information, um, and you know you submit. Within a few days, you'll hear directly from somebody via phone call or email from our organization. Um, and they'll they'll send you packets and can, a packet of forms and consents. And once we have that back, um, you know we can work to really get the wheels turning. You know, get in touch with your clinic, and uh, and get the shipping arranged. It usually takes six to nine months for that process to unfold. And the the reason for that is high demand combined with fairly limited resources. So we. We tell people on the front end, don't expect it to be fast, but but it will happen. If you were one of the uh, the gamete, if it was your gametes that were uh, that were used in producing the embryos, if you didn't use an egg or sperm donor, um, you'll have to get an FDA required blood draw. But that's a pretty simple test. We pay for it, and we send you the lab recs for that. So, and your and you know, we will store the embryos for free once they're in our custody. So so anyone who donates through the NEDC um, and is tired of storage bills, that's, that's fine. You won't have them anymore when you donate them through, through the NEDC. Now, if you want to, uh, to be a recipient on the other end, uh, again, similar process, you just go to embryodonation.org and there's an adoption FAQs page, which, uh, which is a little lengthier than the donation FAQs page, but it's our best unpacking of the program. You can scroll down uh, if you've read everything and think, well, maybe, maybe I want to do this. Um, you can scroll down and uh, you can find the panel that says apply for adoption and, uh, and then hit get started. Again, you just fill out the application and then you'll hear from somebody from our office within a few days and we'll send you the packet of forms and consents. Actually, that'll be automated very soon uh, on both sides. But um, but anyway, that's how it works. And then, and then that's an eight to nine month process from the and time of application. How is the matching done? Is it like open adoption where you're like, they're looking through booklets of people or the donors are just looking through booklets of hopeful parents or more like sperm <laughs> donation where you're going through yeah. profiles and like, you know, whittling them down? Yeah, it's a. I, I guess. I guess in some ways, it's it's a similar to all of that. Um, you know, basically, they're given access to to our donor database, so all available 
embryo profiles are in that database. So it's several hundred at any time. And yeah, you're going to get the bait. You're going to get genetic and health history. You're going to get demographic uh, and family characteristics. Like you're, you're going to know in, in terms of, you know, the, uh, the primary and secondary photos of their children that were previously born from those yes. embryos. Yes. Yes, that's right. You'll, you'll know if there were children, you'll know if they had serious conditions, um, you know, the primary and, and secondary partners involved in producing the embryos. You'll know if it's available and it usually is things like, um, height, weight, hair color, eye color, profession, level of education. You'll see if they're available pictures of uh, of the donors pictures of children that have been produced and uh like for instance in in the case of that we spoke of earlier where there have <laughs> where there's already been someone who has uh, been a recipient of the embryos and children have been produced sometimes those pictures will get uh will get put in to a profile because obviously the genetics would be the same so that's how, in the, in the yeah. So anyway, they 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 get all that. They scroll through, and right, you just hit reserve. You just you just reserve your embryos that you're going to try with. Um, yeah, they're from your computer. So it's a it's a it's amazing how technology has simplified the process these days. Is can there? I ask a about, ca- oh, oh, go sorry. ahead. Sorry, can ahead. I ask okay. about cost? Just because you know, adopt traditional adoptions expensive. Fertility treatments are expensive. Everything's so expensive. How does embryo donation and or embryo adoption through your program compare and what does that look like? Generally, um, for a first frozen embryo transfer facilitated by the NEDC, you'd be looking at probably a total cost of ten and a half to twelve thousand dollars. That's not just Does that include the transfer and yeah. the meds? It does. It includes the transfer, it includes the medications, it includes the home study. We're trying to be inclusive of all the costs. On that, with the exception of uh, of travel and lodging, you do have to make a couple trips to our center in Knoxville. Um, we're co-located with our medical partners, so it's all one-stop service, if you will. Um, and so you will you will have to make a couple trips to Knoxville. We don't include that, but we tell people that. So that's that's what you're looking at for a first transfer. If you're not successful, um, it's going to be a lot cheaper, probably somewhere in the I don't know four thousand to forty five hundred. Uh, neighborhood for a subsequent transfer. Uh, each time you have a subsequent transfer for uh, after one that was unsuccessful. So, um, so yeah, it it can be cost a cost effective option for a lot of recipients. And one, you know, and something else that will give them peace of mind is because we have so many embryos right here. Um, if your first intended set does not survive the thaw. Well, I mean, with us, you have the ability to select backup embryos. And if you're choosing a set that has fewer than five or six, then we do encourage people to choose uh, backup embryos. Pretty much everybody does, uh, because what we don't want is for somebody to make all this effort and come all the way to Knoxville and not be able to have a transfer. It's never happened in the history of our program, almost 20 years, and, and we don't want it to happen now. So there's at least that peace of mind that if the first set doesn't survive the thaw, you will you will have a transfer. Is is there a limit? And I didn't. I just I can admit I did not look this up on your site beforehand. <laughs> is there a limit on family size? 
I mean, so like you talk about this set of embryos, five or six or things like that. What if um, somebody wants to adopt that entire set and have that it, a larger family? Is that possible or do, do you set limitations on that? The- theoretically, that would be possible. We don't set limitations on that. I, see, I assume with the theoretical, it just hasn't doesn't happen typically as well. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of families that have that have had the most <laughs> that, that I've seen in my time here. I'm trying to think if we've had Jen and Ellen, um, anybody have more than four or five children that's um, a, that's impressive that's still pretty impressive I, yeah and i would no, think that's... that you would run up against the age limit if anything right yeah like 45 yeah. Age you limit would limit, so. <laughs> i'm trying to think i think i think the most that i am aware of uh is four uh, okay. i can think of several people who've had like two sets of twins um i, th- I think you yes about could they have five or six kids that's why I said theoretically. Theoretically, you could. Uh, okay. So there's not an internal limit, though, of where you're saying, hey, you know what, we, we've set a, a marker that this is enough kids or things like that. There's no marker for that. That's correct. Well, I appreciate you uh, being a good sport with our grilling. Is there anything <laughs> else that you'd want to share about the NEDC that you think listeners would, would find important or you, you'd want them to know about? No, 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 absolutely not. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always helped, uh, Ellen, uh, by, by reading, uh, what you write. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be on with you. And yes, I mean, I, I do that we didn't agree on everything and that's fine. I still, (laughs) I, I still think these are, these are good conversations to have. And, you know, for people who, who, for whom the NEDC could be an option, I think uh, it's great to have the opportunity to at least check us out and know know everything you can. Um, you can find out more by going to embryodonation.org. And, um, you know, we, we really salute anybody who is doing uh, the work of embryo donation. Um, you know, it's, it's a big world. It's a growing world. And uh, we welcome everybody who is doing it. We know we're different than most. Uh, and, uh, and that's okay, you know. Thanks so much, Mark. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate it. Thank you to Mark for coming on and sharing more information. We appreciate it. Yeah, we absolutely do appreciate when people pitch their own ideas and want to come and talk to us. Um, There are a couple ways you can reach us. You can always reach out through our website. You can go and click on the kind of reach out to us now. It'll send us a little email link. Uh, You can also give us a call at 303-997-1903. And all joking aside in previous episodes about the fact that I get like car warranty extensions and insurance sales and all that stuff. We really, I really do get very excited when that, that thing pops up that I have a message because it means hopefully that we get to hear from somebody. So it is fun. We do like it. We feel appreciated when people reach out to us. So, so please do Um, also join our Facebook group. Um, Do answer the questions, please, because I will not let you in if you do not answer the questions, Um, but answering the questions, that you would like to sell me a car warranty as stated previously uh, is can you, can completely you acceptable question? maybe you should add like what's your favorite merch item is it the, the phone case with the sperm with headphones or yes. the shirt i don't I forget what other yes. items there are so maybe i'll make a poll in our <laughs> facebook group um so everybody who's listening go go check out our website 
uh, and make sure that you have an appropriate answer for the poll. Mm. Um, I will make sure I have that up somewhere around when this is going to (laughs) air. So um, thank you to everybody who listens. Thank you to our team, to Melissa, to Tyler, of course, to Amanda and everyone around us who makes us feel special and loved and who does it takes takes what we hand them and makes it shiny and beautiful so thank you to you all and of course thank you to all of you who listen